Okay, everyone, welcome back. Um, I just want to apologize in advance. There's no theme song music stuff, and the audio quality isn't that great. So I do apologize, um, but I do just want to uh, jump on here and record something. So I hope it isn't too terrible. I uh, am sitting in my car recording on my phone uh, because I've learned that my child, if I speak at all while he's napping, he'll wake up right now. Like, it doesn't even matter, like, how far away in the house I am or what the deal is. I have, like, fans going and everything, so for white noise, nope. He hears me. He wakes up. Um, and, um, yeah, so it just, it's been a chaotic schedule, but I, uh, wanted to jump on because I think a few weeks pass between, um, the, I guess it was like the third or fourth episode and the last one. Um, and I wanted, I didn't want that to happen again. And also I wanted to like fill you guys in on why, <laughs> uh, why there was a little break there and what's been going on and just like what's going on in my life. So I know most of the episodes of this show have a point to them, but the other The other kind of, like, purpose to this show is to, like, illustrate my journey um, as an aspiring writer and musician um, and as a podcaster and as a a mom, too, uh, you know, and as an emotional little human. So it isn't always a lesson, but also sometimes just an illustration. Um, And so exciting for me but uh that's that's what this one is is it's uh a little status progress update for you guys so uh what was going on was my band um in case you're new we're called panda forces um so we got booked for this festival in maryland in baltimore now seth and i are originally from the area but we didn't have our band there. And the other two members are from here in Tennessee. So um, it was like Seth and I had some familiarity with uh, like the venue, for example, but not um, like I, I hadn't played there. Seth hadn't played there either, but he had played um, nearby. And so um, and he knew, like, he had connections, so it did help us to book the show that we kind of, like, knew a little bit what to expect, and it did help us that Seth had um, friends in band, so it was very easy, because we we booked the festival first, um, and then once we got the festival, we were like, great, let's, like, make a weekend of it, and we booked another show, and so it helped out that Seth had friends in bands, to sort of like just very easily build a second show versus in Nashville. It's definitely different. You have to like find a venue that'll book you and then figure out how much the production fee is going to cost and figure out if you can cover that. And then you've got to like think of bands that are going to actually like draw enough people to maybe like cover the production fee so that you guys might, at least not end up in debt. <laughs> um, and also find a band that's available. It's a lot. And, and, you know, 
we have friends here and we have met a lot of musicians here, but in Maryland, like that's where we grew up. So we have a lot more friends there, I think. And, um, so it's just a little bit easier. And then also that production fee thing, uh, I don't know if I've mentioned it before. And if you guys aren't familiar, uh, how that works in Nashville as a musician is, um, when you play at a venue, you use that venue sound person, um, but you've got to pay that person and they've got to set rate. So like when we played Radio Cafe, I think that it was an $80 sound fee. Um, and that's pretty universal in Nashville. There are some venues that aren't that way, but most of them are. And what changes is the production fee, like how much it is, and then how much you get paid afterward, like after that fee. Um, so I can't speak to many other places around the country, but in Baltimore, that's not a thing. Um, they pay their own, they pay their own production fees in, in other words. So either you have a minimum of tickets to sell or you just don't get paid. Or they take the first X amount of money, whatever. Um, and so, and I want to be like really transparent about things like this on this podcast because these are things that I think, first of all, clearly coming from one state to another, they were very different. And secondly, it's things that like people might not know, especially if you're someone like me who was just a singer songwriter act who was doing more open mics and featured spots and, you know, protests and festivals and state fairs and things that weren't really like booking a gig and worrying about getting paid. It's just, it's a little different as a band. And so like when I kind of came onto the scene, like I had no really idea um, about how that worked or what to expect. And I think that when you have no idea, it can be really easy to like, maybe get scammed or maybe make bad choices. Or maybe you say, sure, I'll pay this hundred dollar production fee. And then you don't draw a crowd and you look at that as, oh, it costs $100 to play a show. When really, um, that's just someone getting paid to do their job. And maybe that particular venue is not right for you yet. Um, so anyway, so I, I do want to be like, very open about like the financial side of things. I, um, I know it can be something that we don't really want to talk about as much as musicians, especially because like we tend to not make very much money as musicians. So maybe we don't want to like <laughs> admit it, uh, but, uh, that's how it is. And, and I want to be clear about it. So anyway, um, it was two different setups in Baltimore. At Frozen Harbor Music Fest, you had a 30-ticket minimum. You had to sell 30 tickets or you didn't get paid. But if you sold 30 tickets, you made $5 a ticket. So basically, we made $150 to play Frozen Harbor um, if we sold the 30 tickets, which we, uh, we sold 28. So uh, we ended up buying the last two. and that 
So the tickets were 20 bucks a piece. That's 40 bucks. So I mean, essentially we made 110 off ticket sales. I mean, that still was a great, that was more than we've ever made in Nashville. And I like, I like that setup a lot because it's no loss. So like if we had only sold, you know, 10 tickets, they could have either said, you're not playing. There's definitely venues that have done that, but usually venues don't. Um, or they would say you can play, but you're just not getting paid. And while I know that can seem like, oh, well, 10 people put their money out for my band, whatever, whatever, you know, it's like, again, coming back to the person running the sound, the person, you know, running whatever other parts of the event need to be ran, that person needs to get paid. And so um, to me, it's like, well, okay, you know, it, it's no loss. You don't have to pay them. It's just if you don't ensure that they're paid, then you're not paid. And I think that's fair. Um, and then we um, also brought along some burnt CDs and some stickers. And we ended up making, I think we made like $80 or so between the two nights because we brought those things to both shows um which was awesome and the way that we did that was stickers were a dollar each and cds were by donation and it just works out really great because some people will buy a cd for you know a couple bucks and some people buy a cd for 20 bucks so um, that worked out really well in our favor. And then the other show that we did, um, was at a place called Reverb and how that works is they take the first, I think it was the first hundred dollars from the door, um, to cover their fees. And then you get 100% of the money afterward. So again, they have to pay their sound, their sound person and their bartender. And, uh, you know, they have to keep their lights on. Um, but they're not charging you the money to do that. So like, if we hadn't, if we hadn't sold 10 tickets, which is insane, like, of course we're going to sell 10 tickets, especially because there were three bands playing. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think at least three people can come for each band. If we hadn't sold those 10 tickets, though, we wouldn't have been out any money. Uh, but we did, and we sold more. And I honestly don't remember exactly how much we ended up making at that show. It wasn't very much. Um, I think it rounded out to be that, like, each band got, like, 20 or 30 bucks. Um, which, again, is not a lot. But then we also made a little bit off the merch. And it just it covered our gas. So I was happy, you know. Um, to me, that was a, a big win versus, you know, when we paid, when we played at Radio Cafe, we did have to pay like $15. I think we sold tickets up to, or not tickets, but it was like a door fee, but like, yeah, we didn't, it was like either 80 or a hundred dollar production fee. And that last like 15 bucks was not made, I think. Um, the nice thing about Radio Cafe is that you get to set the door. 
So, um, sort of, it's a little bit in your control versus at other venues where they set the door themselves and you just have to sell however many tickets that is. Uh, Radio Cafe says, okay, you have to pay us $100, um, but you can decide how much you want to charge people to come in. It could be free if you want. It could be, you know, $100 a ticket if you want. Uh, I don't think that anybody is charging $100 entry into Radio Cafe. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, that's one thing that I like a lot more about playing outside of Nashville. Um, I just think that it's incredibly unfair that they ask the band to literally hold up their whole business. And this isn't a dig out Radio Cafe at all because I really enjoyed playing there and we will go back. Um, but other venues too, that I've been to in Nashville, it's just kind of been like, really, you know, um, the deal is that with Frozen Harbor Music Festival, the venue we played, it was called Angels Rock Bar. And what it is, it's this whole, how, (laughs) Angels Rock Bar is a bar at a thing called Power Plant. And it's basically like a little cluster of bars in Baltimore. And so what's really neat about it is that like Angels is connected to uh, a PBR. So you might go into one of those two bars and then kind of like wander over into the other. Um, And so that's just those two. And then there are other ones across the street and there's like a pizza place or whatever. When I say across the street, I mean like across the patio, it's all in one little cluster. Um, and there's like a line in Google underneath. So, um, the thing about, the thing about that is that like, yeah, we had to sell tickets to that, but also like people are wandering in there. So they have a reason for people to come in besides just the music. They're not counting on the band to run their business for them versus like in Nashville, um, most of the venues that I've either played or attended shows at, um, there's really no reason to go to those venues except for to see a show. Um, and, and probably to see a specific show because there's a lot of live music in Nashville And, um, I don't think anyone is really wandering into somewhere like Rocket Town just to see what's what, uh, you know, there's, there's nothing. It's also not a situation where you're going to wander in there for a drink. A lot of the venues that we have been to attended or played, um, they don't have a full bar. They may have like, a counter with beers behind it or something or um they don't have food like there's just not it's not like when you walk down broadway and every single place you walk past you know you're going to be able to go in there and get drinks maybe food see a great show um and then there's another one up the corner you know like there's reasons to go into all of those places But outside of that strip, Nashville venues are really just supported by the musicians. It's kind of like 
if you want to play, hey, you need to um, you need to ensure that you can draw a crowd. You need to pay us, and then you need to completely promote the entire thing yourself. Um, a lot of these venues don't promote you at all. Don't promote the show at all in any way. Um, I think like Radio Cafe did a couple of uh, posts online or whatever, and they, um, yeah, yeah, they did like a Facebook post or something. But um, so that was nice. But a lot of these places, it's really, it's really essentially like you're renting the place and planning a whole show. And so, again, it's not a dig at any particular venue because that is really like the Nashville way right now. And of course, like not all of them are the same. Some of them, like we played Cobra, of course, there's people are going to wander into the Cobra because there's stuff to do there. Um, you know, so so not all of them are that way. Um, and it, if you have a little bit of a following, it can work out still. Um, but to me, um, it's a, it's extremely challenging and like you know basically like when we played Baltimore we had two shows in one weekend and it took less effort and energy to sell those tickets than it takes to um do one show in Nashville um because it's so high stakes you're physically out money out of your pocket if you don't sell those tickets and there's no one helping you so you really have to do all the work and um you can't think to yourself like, well, probably some people will be there. No, like nobody's going to be there unless you have invited them. And, um, you know, you really have to work hard to get the word out. And so, um, less, less to dig at Nashville because I guess that I don't have quite enough experience uh, yet, like I haven't gotten to the other end of it yet. Haven't gotten to the point where we can just book a show and count on the fact that we've got enough fans that will show up and we don't have to worry about money. Um, so we'll see. Uh, it's just, I think it's just really hard to get started here. And maybe once you're successful, it's super fun and super great. Um, but it is really hard to get started versus like, when we were in Baltimore, it was actually very easy to get started and it was extremely fun. Um, and so it's less of me complaining right now and more of me being excited that, you know, hey, something worked out for us. It worked out really well. All in all, the money that we made between both shows and merch, really, it just went back into filling our gas tanks to get back to <laughs> Tennessee. Uh, we really didn't like make a ton of money. <clears throat> Um, so that wasn't it, but it was the, it was the notion that we could make money off of music. Um, because again, like that's just something that has not really been available to us in Nashville. Um, except for a couple of odd band camp sales and key spring sales. So uh, it was really encouraging, I think to all of us. And, you know, like if it, it really, when, I think when you, hit that point where you say we made $150 plus merch sales in one night. Uh, we we're making money as a band and never mind that that went into our gas tank this time, but that that's 
something we could do. And if we didn't have to hurry back to our jobs, then um, we could really, this could really be a thing. Like we can make $150 a night in Baltimore and then make what, you know, 20, 30, 40 bucks the next night, but then maybe also do a show in DC the next night and make a little bit in Virginia the next night. And uh, then et cetera, et cetera. And that's called touring. (laughs) Um, And what I think is really neat is this notion that touring could actually be more uh, beneficial than just building up in your own town. But I think that's just such a Nashville thing. Like there's so many musicians here and there's so many connections to be made here. Um, And that's what's awesome about it. But it's just the actual venues themselves. It's hard it's really hard. Um, and I think that, I think that I've never really been afraid of kind of taking a leap of faith, but what really like pushed me toward it was that I met a girl, um, and I won't give away too much of her story because my, my great hope is that she'll come on here one day, but I met a singer, um, a few months ago who told me that she just, just traveled around the country and played shows. And I was like, do you have fans out there? She said, I, I make them as I go, but no, the first time I go, I just go and play a show. And I was just like amazed by that. Um, and really like, it really shifted my perspective, but also like this really reaffirmed that, you know, maybe you're not making any money playing in Nashville, but that's because we're going to these concert venues trying to play these shows and it's hard to do here. But if we think outside the box, you know, maybe we could make enough money and the money again is not designed to like make us rich or it doesn't even have to replace our jobs yet. Maybe one day, hopefully. But what the money does is it gets us to and from where we're going. And, um, that's enough for me. I mean, if the money pays for a, a, like, okay, Mm -hmm. we play a show and make enough money to get to and from the show and eat, we did it right. Like we survived a day and we survived that day off of music. And that's fucking awesome to me. I think that's really cool. Um, and so really doing these shows really reaffirmed that for, I think all of us, definitely me. Um, so when we got back, I was very like inspired and excited to think more outside the box again. And I thought, you know, we're really ready to do some more of this. But the thing about Maryland was that we knew we had friends and family who would come out versus if we're playing in like Kentucky or even further out, uh, there really might not be anyone. Um, but there are all these other places around the country where I've got friends and family and, you know, my drummer's from Florida. My guitarist is from a North South, one of those Carolinas. I'm sorry. He's from Myrtle beach. I don't know. I'm sorry, Nathan, if you're listening, please don't hate me. Um, they're the same state to me, but anyway, um, so I've been thinking a lot about that and we've sort of started to, you know, brainstorm and get things in the works, but it also got me, um, really interested in the idea of playing shows that were not at these venues. 
Um, and so I started looking into a bunch of uh, festivals and things coming up. And um, I discovered the Nashville Hot Air Balloon Festival in it's June 22nd. And it's like this hot air balloon festival and there's a polo match. Um, so that's, that's all happening. And I was like, that's really cool. So I, um, messaged them and they booked us for three hours. I am so pumped guys. Um, and I messaged several festivals uh, and they were the first one and only one so far to, uh, book us, but it's paid and the pay is decent. I mean, it's good. I am real, real excited about it. Um, so to me, that was like, yes, that's what we, that's what we got to do. You know, we got to play places that aren't just, you know, somewhere that you've got to book, like you've got to pay the venue type of situation. And then I think once we just get to that next level, and I, I feel like we're so close. Um, and once we get to that next level, we can play at those places and feel confident that we'll make our money back. Um, so that was a really good moment for me. And I was really excited to see that the rest of the band kind of seems to share the same thoughts and the same priorities about it. Um, so yeah, super excited, uh, that all happened. Um, I don't think so that that's pretty much it for me. Well, okay, no. That's like that's what was happening with the band. There was one other thing <laughs> that happened last night. Um Nathan met uh went and saw Starfucker and they like chatted after the show and followed us on Instagram, our band, so we've been like really excited ever since then we were like yay they're following us this is the coolest thing ever <laughs> uh that's our little bit of joy uh i've been focusing a lot of attention into social media again because again thinking outside the box what i what i can't do is i can't grow uh the crowd that might come to a show if we booked it at you know any normal uh venue that bands are playing right now like I just can't grow that out of nothing you know um but what I can do is play different venues that different types of shows like the festival I can um try and grow our quote unquote fan base <laughs> I put it in quotes because we don't have a real fan base but maybe we can have one <laughs> um you know, using the internet. I set up our YouTube channel and Nathan uploaded videos to that from our performances in Maryland. And it's just, um, you just search Panda Forces. Um, and I've been focusing a lot on Instagram. So, um, yeah, I think it's been really good and I'm really excited about all of those things. Um, and that's pretty much it for music. Excuse me. Um, I did hear back about my novel, and I don't think that I've recorded since. I'm pretty sure I've not recorded since this happened. Uh, but I got rejected again. It's only my fourth rejection on the novel, and 
it's not that's not a lot it's to be expected um it is but i and i and i i know on here a lot i'm i'm going to talk about and have talked about already even you know how that is to be expected and how you have to embrace rejection and be okay with it and blah 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 and that's all uh, great and it's true but um sometimes it just hits you harder than others i guess and this one really hit me hard so the first time i submitted my novel for consideration to a literary agent it was my dream agent dreams goals i mean i had heard of this woman i knew specific things that she had done like with books that you've heard of you know i i knew why i loved her going in and um she was like my rock star of the moment when she rejected me i expected it and i was fine i was bummed out of course um but i felt like how cool she read my story you know not the whole thing but yeah that's another episode i'll tell you about about how that goes but um anyway second time third time they d- simply didn't answer um a lot of agencies don't they uh tell you if you don't hear back by this date it's a no just expect that it's a no um so i think that was a little bit easy easier too i mean it sucks because you know there's like at least an, a buffer week where you're like sitting there like maybe they're still going to get to it and they'll love it um <laughs> But it's nice because there's you never have to read the words like, I don't want your book. But this fourth time, I heard back. <laughs> so I am selective about who I submit to um, because I want to mean what I say and because I want to feel good if my book gets chosen um, it's going to be like a journey. You're, it's, you're really trusting someone, uh, when you let them handle the fate of your precious little world that you created. So I spend a fair amount of time and thought in choosing an agent. Um, and so this fourth time, it was an agent who I had not heard of before. I did not know the agency by name. It wasn't a um, one like that. Um, but when I read her bio on the website, I kind of freaked out. I said, she's perfect. And if anyone's going to love my book, it's going to be her. It had everything that this woman says that she wants in a book on her site. Um, she says that she, uh, likes, uh, women's lit. She says that she is drawn to science fiction and fantasy. She says that she likes works that push genre boundaries. And my story is um, about a teenage girl who's also a fairy and she like battles monsters, but she's also, you know, in love with this boy in a band. And it's like, so it's got a lot of cutesy, like girly, you know, high school to it um, that young adult aspect, but then it's also got 
you know, some definite fantasy. Uh, I definitely started writing this story when I was deep into playing World of Warcraft, and that comes through, I think. Um, and to me, I not. it's not like, I think as a writer, you have to like believe in your work and be confident in it. But I think you'll also, I don't think most writers are like cocky about it. I'm sure some are, but, um, so this isn't me saying like, Oh, my book is so wonderful at all. Cause I think most of us are like, maybe my book is terrible. <laughs> um, but what I really believe in about it and what I really love about it is that, is that I felt like, uh, here is a story about a girl who wears lip gloss, but um, I don't have to read six lines about which designers um, made her outfit today. <laughs> you know, uh, here's a girl who loves female friendships and there are no rivalries with other girls at school. Like, that's not a thing. Um, here's a girl who, you know, finds the most perfect guy of her dreams. Um, but she doesn't sacrifice what matters to her for him. And um, that, to me, I'm I'm not saying that doesn't exist in books. It does. Um, but I think that the alternative exists a lot more. And I think that when you are a young woman, when you're a teenage girl, um, reading that those types of things is really powerful because as a teenage girl, there's so much of the world that's like telling you all the time that it's a dichotomy. Everything is, you know, like you can be tough or you can be pretty or you can be cool or you can be smart, but you can't be all of those things. Um, and of course, as an adult, it's really easy to be like, no one really thinks that way. But I think that a lot of teenage girls do. I think that for me, uh, I was, many different pieces of many really cool, awesome things. And I think that now I love that about myself. Now that I'm an adult, I think like, yeah, how cool is it that, you know, whatever I, I liked to play like nerdy video games. And also I was on the Palm squad. Like, I think that's neat. But when I was that person, then it was hard to sometimes not to feel like I wasn't enough of everything. Um, like I was on the Palm squad, but I wasn't uh girly enough or I wasn't, you know, I don't want to say preppy cause I feel like that's not a thing anymore, but at the time it was, I wasn't preppy <laughs> enough, you know, um, that's our, I was really into like emo music and like, uh, all that screaming stuff. But at the same time, I loved reading Teen Vogue and I was really into fashion. And so I kind of felt like, well, am I just not enough of each individual thing? Um, and so with my book, I loved the ability to paint those pieces of me growing up in an affectionate, admirable way. Um, and I kind of envisioned, you know, another me out there reading this book and feeling understood, feeling like, you know, here is everything that I loved about Twilight, but if Bella were powerful, uh, if she, you know, valued 
her own destiny more than this romance, but also valued the romance because, you know, it, it can be both. Um, and I know that sounds like me just talking up my book a lot. Um, but I think that that's what excited me about writing it. You know, that's what brought me back to this book. I, I actually was working on a different book and I decided to come back to this book, edit it, rewrite it, edit it and submit it. And so when I read this publisher was into the things that are what I love about my book, I got very excited because, you know, if, if this publisher just said something about how she loves, you know, um, like fantastical beasts or whatever, I might not have felt super confident because that's not the most, maybe the most powerful part of my book. I create a lot of fictional characters, um, not characters, but, um, creatures. I create a lot of fictional creatures and, um, I'm not saying that they're bad, but that's just not where, like, if, if I were to have gotten, if she had said, yeah, I'll, I'll take your book on, but you should work on this critter. I would work on it. You know, I would, I would say, okay, like I'm open to, you know, feedback on that. Um, but it's these parts, it's the genre bending parts. It's the, uh, the fact that this is a book for women, but it's also a sci-fi and, or I mean, a fantasy. I like for some reason sometimes think sci-fi and fantasy is one word, <laughs> oh, the writing world. But anyway, um, you know, those are the things that I loved about it. And those are the things that she was looking for in a book. So I felt this like, if you've ever read Big Magic, um, I, <laughs> I felt Big Magic. <laughs> so, sorry, I'm being weird. Go read that book, by the way. But anyway, so had that feeling and I was like, yes, this is the person who's going to publish my book. I know it. Um, we love all the same things. And she told me that she was not drawn enough to the story and it wasn't, you know, nothing she said was wrong or mean or anything. She was polite. She was nice. And she took the time to make a personalized email to me. And, um, not only that, but she didn't say anything negative about my writing. And I think that's a big, you know, victory, I guess. Like if, I mean, maybe she wouldn't, <laughs> maybe she just wouldn't either way, but she could have, she could have said, you know, I think that your writing needs a lot more polishing, or I think that you need to work on your voice, whatever, whatever. Like I didn't get that feedback. It was about the story. And, um, so Hooray, I wasn't told that I'm a terrible writer, but boo, this story means a lot to me and this world is like so dear to my heart and I knew that she would love it and she didn't. And I don't know why, but I just took it really hard. And I had a solid day where I was like, I'm going to quit writing. <laughs> I knew I didn't mean it, but you know, in the moment you feel like you mean it. Um, and this was before we left for our trip. It was like a few days, two days before, I think, before we went to go play those shows. So I think that at the time, I thought the timing was bad. But now I really think that the timing was great because uh, for whatever reason, that's not the person who is going to help me get my book published. And uh, that's fine. But she sort of had to like 
defuse this little fire <laughs> that I had going. Like that was going to have to happen uh, at some point. But it happened right before a new fire was lit about music. And um, I think that that was a really good thing. So at the time, it felt like everything crumbling down. But then only a week later, it felt like, okay, I'm glad this didn't happen now because, you know, right now I feel confident again. I feel, I feel like I'm in the exact right place that I'm supposed to be. And, um, I haven't, I have not found another publisher to submit to yet. Um, I haven't tried. I mean, sorry, I meant literary agent, not publisher. I could do that too, I guess, but I, oh, I want, I really want an agent, but, um, anyway, so I haven't worked on that yet. Um, but I did start writing again the other day. Um, I worked on a couple poems and I plan to try and get those submitted to, uh, some literary magazines. And then I also, um, started working again on, um, the book that I was currently writing already. So my first book, it's complete. It's just been, it's up for submission. I did start a part two to it, but I put it on pause because I thought to myself, you know, I've got another story to tell and I don't want to put all of my eggs in one basket here by writing, you know, like a trilogy or like a five book series when book one's not even published. So um, I kind of put that on pause and while I'm, that's in the submission phase and I started working on a different story. And this story um, is also pretty close to my heart, but it's, it's also kind of hard to write sometimes. Um, and cause it's going to be very emotional and some of the things on there will be entirely fiction, but of course, some of what I have to say will come from experience. Um, even though it's a fictional story. So that can be hard as a writer. And again, there's more episodes to come on that. But um, anyway, I came back really like refreshed and I did start working on that again. And it did feel very natural and it felt very right. And not only that, guys, but I don't have a desk. And um, I. When I had to podcast the other day, Seth set up for me like two TV trays and a chair in the, this corner of our bedroom. And there's really not a lot of room in my house like to put a desk or anything. So I really hadn't thought about setting up shop there. But he set it up and we've never just never taken it down. And I've podcasted there again. Um, and I decided to start writing there. Um, and I was writing a the same time of day each day, but it was the first time that I sat down there and it was uh, mid-morning, late morning, I guess. And the way that the sun was coming through the window, like the curtain, um, was beautiful. And I think that, you know, when you're a writer, you have those moments where you're like, just the way that the trees sound in the wind or the light shines through a blue curtain or the birds sound when they sing, like, all of those things are what make the perfect writing setup. And uh, that's why, you know, sometimes you need to go write in a coffee shop. Or that's why sometimes you need to go write in the park. Um, 
what's going on around you feeds a lot more into your work than I think we let on to ourselves. So um, I realized that it was perfect. And then day two, I realized it was perfect again. And I realized it's this spot in my bedroom. And who would have who would have known, you know, that this was the perfect spot that every time I would sit down, I would feel full and I'd feel inspired and ready to write. Um, and so all of this is to say that um, every part of where I'm at right now is because of a lot of other things that happened, both good and bad. And I think that um, it's easy to like get very discouraged, but everything is truly working out. Um, I really feel for me right now that everything is working out in the very best way. Um, and so, you know, I just wanted to remind you guys that is it will work out for you in the best way too. Um, so, you know, keep your chin up. And as long as you are working hard, um, you know, just listen. Listen to your curtains and the sunlight and your Instagram followers and all the weird, funny things that sort of go into uh, what we experience everyday life. Um, I'm just really excited. I'm excited about where things are going right now. And I think that it's, it's just absolutely the perfect um, place for me to be. And that's like kind of been a common theme. It's, it's in the song Pink Dress. That's normally our theme song. It says, well, the line is, I'm absolutely nowhere and it's the perfect place. Um, and so I really felt that this week when I was, when I was thinking about this podcast, that that was the final message here, you know, like, cool. I didn't get signed to a record label. I didn't sell out a, you know, big concert hall. My book did not get signed on. There were a lot of little tiny magical moments that I collected that just felt perfect. And, you know, like, yep, I'm in my car recording a podcast on my phone while my child naps. And then when I go in, I've got a shit ton of stupid housework to do. But if I can find a couple of moments in this day to make a magical new discovery for our band or write even a couple paragraphs on this book that feel inspired and feel, you know, like this is what I need to put into words, then, um, then I'm doing it. Like I'm in the perfect place. Um, and I think we all are. So just, you know, keep that in focus if you can keep in focus that you are where you need to be and um and you know just let that sort of guide you a little bit this week hopefully I will be back next week with like a real episode recorded on a better microphone than my phone and uh with structure and I'll have one of those little quotes on there and everything and whatnot um but in the meantime this is my, what is this, my, March? This is how my March is uh, has begun, and I am so excited, and I hope you guys, uh, you know, March is beginning so well also. 
All right, guys. Thank you for uh, listening. Bye.